This is The Janet Lewis Show. Welcome to episode 29. Today, we're going to be talking to Julie Cole, entrepreneur, co-founder of Mabel's Labels, and author of Like a Mother. Julie started out her career as a lawyer, but made the leap into entrepreneurship with not one, but three co-founders. In 2003, four moms that were frustrated by their children's things getting lost, mixed up, and leaving home to never return, designed and developed the very best personalized waterproof name labels and tags. They wanted to make the lives of all moms and women easier. Mabel's Labels started out as a basement-made business that included making labels until 2 a.m. many nights, taking calculated risks, and putting in a lot of sweat equity. These four women rolled up their sleeves and got to work making Mabel's Labels an award-winning, market-leading company loved by moms in every neighborhood. They had grown to be such a player that in 2015, the most well-known label maker in the world approached them and offered to buy them a meal. That dinner was the start of Mabel's Labels being acquired by CCL. Think Avery Labels for over $12 million. This is what many entrepreneurs dream of. Julie Cole remains a senior director at Mabel's Labels, but don't kid yourself, this fierce say it like it is woman who's the mom to six children and seems to have an endless amount of energy, continues to blog and has been featured in the Globe Mail, Profit Magazine, Today's Parent, and countless other publications. She's a regular television contributor, keynote speaker, and an engaged community member that supports so many charitable causes. Julie has won many awards for her contributions and efforts in business including the RBC Women Entrepreneur Award for Excellence in Entrepreneurship and Profit Chatelaine W100, just to name a few. During the pandemic, when others were slowing down, Julie decided to switch gears to put time and effort into writing that long awaited book, Like a Mother, where she shares her inspirational stories and lessons learned through parenting her lively crew of kids and building a multi-million dollar business with her co-founders. Today, we're going to explore Julie's life journey, how she got to where she is. We'll talk about who and what has influenced her, the challenges she encountered, and what gives her energy to keep moving forward. We'll also talk about why she decided to start her own company and get into the joys and woes of running your own business. So Julie, thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Janet. Yeah, I'm so excited for this conversation. So I originally met Julie in 2016 at an event that was run by Coco Lily Magazine for female business owners and entrepreneurs. And Julie gave a workshop about business challenges from startup all the way to the sale of a company. And I was actually doing a talk around finding your superpower. And thankfully, I was not presenting at the same time. So I was able to sit in on your workshop. And you know what, there's so many things that I love about seeing you present or talk. Like, you don't give the typical corporate talk and you don't use language that leaves you guessing. Uh, you're super straight up, direct and honest. And it's so refreshing to hear an owner operator share the realities of what it's really like to own a business. And you know, some of the examples you share are so funny, but they're also so true. <laughs> so, um, and the other thing is, um, as I was doing some research about you, we share so many of the same ideas, especially around like mindset, the importance of communication, why it's so important to know yourself. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation. 
And so Julie, perhaps we can start off with like a little bit of your history. Like, where did you grow up? What was it like? And what were you passionate about as a young girl? And then let's jump into your career path and what made you want to start your own business and then even take on the challenges of writing a book because that <laughs> is not easy. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a long story, my girl. Um, okay, so yeah, to start off, um, I was born in Burlington, Ontario. And that's where I live right now. Um, and uh, I was raised by my two parents who were teachers with my three siblings. And one of my siblings actually is one of my co-founders of Mabel's Labels. I started with a sister. Um, so then after high school, when I graduated from high school, I went to the University of Waterloo and I did my undergrad there. And then I ended up at NYU where I did a master's degree. And then I ended up um, in Australia and... And uh, that's where we had our first three kids. Daddy is from Australia. And I went to law school there. And then um, and then we came back to Canada after five years. And I had three more kids here. So that's the, the Coles Notes version. Yeah. Um, yeah, look, as a, as a young girl or as a young woman in high school, whatever, you know, always I've been very, I've always been that busy person. Like I always had a lot on my plate. I was like, you know, I was the kid who was involved in running all the, clubs and then doing this and leading that and so I've always just been that person it's very much a part of my personality and you know like they say if you want to get something done ask a busy person to do it I'm that busy person and I'm not trying to romanticize that hustle culture I mean I think everybody needs to go at their own pace and they need to do self-care and they need to to do what works for them um, and this is what works for me. It's just my personality. And my mom said I was like that from the day I was born. In fact, she kept a journal of us kids. And she wrote in mine when I was three months old and said, Julie doesn't like to miss out on any of the action. She doesn't want to go to bed and she demands a lot of our attention. And some things don't change. I'm still a night hawk. <laughs> and I don't mind being in the center of all the action, that's for sure. So yeah, actually I was all, I was joking a lot through COVID saying, check on your extrovert friends. We are not okay. <laughs> um, so that's that's kind of the long the the long story short, but the reason why Mabel's Labels really came about and why the pivot to entrepreneurship happened was there were two whys. Um, the first was that we noticed a product missing from the market. As you said in the intro, you know, we were young moms, we were losing stuff, we were using permanent marker or masking tape, and we thought, oh, there's got to be something better. And there wasn't. So as good young entrepreneurial moms do, we are like, we can create something that will fulfill that need and that gap in the marketplace. And we started it, it was so me and my sister and two of our friends from university, one who actually went on to marry our brother and one who married our young uncle. So we all ended up being family as well. So, so lots of I, dynamics there. Yeah, can I ask yeah. you a question? Because I've always shied away from even ever having a business partner. Um, because yeah. growing up, my dad right. has had a business partner. It did not go well. Um, so right. when you're sitting around like the four of you, like, what does that conversation look like? Was it just like, hey, we should start a business? It was kind of a joke, but then it turned into like reality. You know what? I think it did kind of happen that way. You know, it was just, you know, there's there's this product missing. We were hanging out together a lot. Um, you know, we're good friends and, and you know, me and my sister and sister. And uh, yeah, it just kind of, so that 
that was it. But I guess the real catalyst to answer that question was our second why, the second answer to the why. And at that point, my eldest child, who had just turned three, um, received an autism diagnosis. So I didn't think that the traditional workforce was going to suit my family any longer. I wanted to be able to advocate for him, set up an ABA program for him, therapy, turn my basement into a therapy center, and just do all the early intervention I possibly could with that fella. So um, like I said, I didn't think the traditional workforce would suit my family's needs. And hey, he had just turned three and he already had two younger siblings. So it was a busy household anyway. So that's when I said to the gals, I'm like, hey, we've had this idea. What do you think is now the time? And no looking back. And did you like at that time when you decided that, did you put all the paperwork in place right away? Or is that something that came, you're a lawyer, so you probably did, right? (laughs) So I will tell you, it's funny. We were fairly professional about it from the start. Um, From the very get-go, we would take um, minutes at our meetings for the four, like just the four of us. And we would have our takeaways and our tasks and what we are going to do. And yes, we put a shareholders agreement together quickly because you know, to your dad's experience, right? You want to you wanna get the, that shareholder's agreement in place while everybody's still friends because we know how these things can go. Whenever you're talking about business and money and those sorts of things, they can go pear-shaped fairly quickly and fairly easily. Um, so yeah, we got that in place and then we, you know, incorporated and we registered our trademarks and we, uh, and we did a business plan. So we, we did take ourselves fairly seriously from the start. Yeah. And um, I was reading how you, you know, obviously you're working in a basement, putting oh, all yeah. labels together until 2 a.m. I've done that. Not yep. labels, but packing yep. orders for sure. And it's challenging. And, you know, how do you, like when there's four of you and then you're starting to hire on, like, how did you end up deciding like um, division of labor and who's responsible for what? Yeah, look, the portfolio shifted around a little bit um, because at that time, too, remember people were having babies and people were, you know, still working full time jobs. So there was a lot of juggling. I will say, though, that early, I think our early success can be attributed to the fact that there were four of us because we could divide and conquer. So, you know, one person can be like, okay, I'm going to research all the, you know, all the machines and the, and the materials and want to be like, okay, look, I'm going to start understanding the mom market and how to best market moms and reach moms and, you know, that sort of thing. So we're able to do that. And also you had four different brains come to the table. So, you know, I'm the recovered lawyer. My sister was a teacher. Um, Julie Ellis was a financial planner and, and Trisha Mumby was in the printing industry. So we were able to bring four brains to the table. I think at the end of the day, um, we just kind of went where our strengths were, you know? So, uh, well, first of all, Cynthia wanted, uh, this, the, um, the equipment in her basement. So that worked out great because she wanted to be able to put her kids to get bed and then make labels. So we could go over there and do that. Um, it made sense that, you know, Julie Ellis was a financial planner. So she did a lot of the finance, uh, portfolio, uh, and, and Cynthia did a lot of production and mommy and I managed marketing and PR. So we all, you know, we had, um, we, we kind of naturally fell into where our strengths were. Yeah. I think that's amazing. Like what are the chances there's four of you and you all come from like a different background that can actually really make a business work. Right. And you know what? We weren't without our challenges because none of us had started a business before. Nobody had a business degree. We were starting an e-commerce company and we weren't, there wasn't an IT nerd amongst us. So, you know, we had to really, you know, I always say your network is your net worth. So we had to really rely on our 
you know, nerd friends from University of Waterloo and, and our accounting friends. And, you know, we really used our networks. And, uh, and yeah, again, it, it's 19 years ago. And in those times, people were not, they were a little bit reluctant to like put the visa number in the machine and in, in the computer machine and, and send it out there. So, you know, being an e-commerce business, we certainly had to do a lot of, uh, a lot of learning. Yeah, because I think like e-commerce has changed so much over time in the sense that because I started Orange Fish in 2006, which was also strictly e-commerce. And I remember at that point, it's like you had to kind of like look like a large, trustworthy, reliable business so that people would purchase online from you. Right. And right. now, yeah. like let's forward, fast forward to today where it's like people want to purchase local. They want to purchase from the maker. So it's a complete different marketing strategy and look, right? Things have definitely, things have definitely shifted over the years. And that's, you know, that as an entrepreneur also, you know, I always say you have to be comfortable being uncomfortable because as soon as you think you understand your product, your market, your business, something changes, you experience growth, you have to do new hires, you know, and, and hiring is, you know, that's, that's tricky business for us. You, our, our, our issues were like, we did okay in the early hires because the early hires were like, we had people making labels. So it was like the worker bees and we were good with that. Where we stumbled and a lot of entrepreneurs do is when you start hiring managers, because then you have to start handing over the reins and, and, you know, you've got these entrepreneurs who often think that we can do it the better. Or we, this is our baby, you know, um, so it's hard not to like jump in and try and save and micromanage, and, but that's not good for business because you hire for these roles. You want to fill the gaps. You know, you don't want to hire somebody just like you. You want to find somebody smarter than you in an area. So you have to be very careful to let them do their thing and let them make their mistakes and let them pick themselves up. Because if you're just constantly jumping in there and micromanaging, it's not good for retention. It's not good for your corporate culture. And it's not good for your business because, you know, if you're in there in the weeds all the time, you're working in the business and not on the business. Yeah, for sure. I would say like, I definitely suffered from that disease for sure. Yep. Um, and also spent more time working in the business than on the business. I think the other thing too, that's hard um, when you have a business for a long time is like continuing to drive forward, continuing to innovate, continuing with that change. So can you think of like any of the times in your business where you were like, ah, we really have to do something to continue to differentiate ourselves? Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've always been obviously, you know, with any company, there's going to be copycats and, you know, you're, and you know, that happened to us many times, but we've just, you know, remained the market leader by keeping our eye on the ball. I mean, of course we look in the rear view mirror at our competitors and, and make sure that our brand is being protected and, and nobody's, you know, doing anything to compromise our brand with their products. Um, so we keep an eye, but we just have stayed um, innovative and keeping an eye on the ball. Where do we wanna go? What do we wanna roll out? Um, I'll tell you a time where from a product standpoint, we innovated so quickly and I was so delighted was through COVID. So um, a lot of, I mean, we, the word pivot was said that many times in businesses, right? But I felt like we did the pivot before anyone even heard the word pivot. Um, I, I feel like we're very, we're very nimble. We were very quick to respond. And so what happened was we basically lost our camp season because nobody, all the summer camps are closed down and that's our second big, biggest season. So with no camps operating, we thought, here we go. We, we, we won't make any sales. Um, 
But what we did have was, uh, you know, a, a very entrepreneurial crew, an excellent management team who immediately immediately said, let's get team now put together. So we put together a team, said, how are we going to do this? So then we partnered with a local um, uh, material company. We started making masks um, with our cute little Mabel icons on, and they were top quality. And because our customers know our brand to be top quality, there was a lot of brand trust and a lot of brand loyalty. So lots of our customers came to us to buy um, Mabel's labels masks. And also we had the equipment to be able to make face shields. So we did face shields and we sold them to dentist office and medical clinics and those sorts of things. And, and this is, I mean, perfect. So, you know, we make labels and everybody was needing those big circles that said stand six feet apart to put on the floor. So what can we do at Mabel's Labels? We can make labels any size. So we were making those for schools and we were making those for businesses and shops. So um, yeah, I felt like we had already launched our COVID products when every other company was still scrambling. So I was, and that to me was a result of our corporate culture of innovation. Yeah, well, and also to, um, this is more towards you, but um, you also seem to be a problem solver as, a, as opposed to kind of getting stuck in a situation. So it's like some people get stuck in a situation and can't move forward, but you seem to be more oriented towards like, okay, there's got to be a solution to this. Let's move forward. Right. I think that is part of our, and like, this is the whole thing about giving, giving your staff um, room and space to kind of play in a sandbox and think outside the box and, and not micromanaging them because then they are more entrepreneurial and they come up with ideas they have skin in the game, you know? So I think it's through breeding that culture. And also, I mean, a lot of leadership is about role modeling. If we don't, you know, we don't, we're not going to be like, oh, this, this is such a drag. We've lost our camp season. We're like, okay, now what? And it's like being a parent, right? Like you just, you act a certain way. We can teach and preach to our kids all we want, but they're going to act like us, right? And if if we stay positive at work and, and come from a problem-solving standpoint, so will our staff. Yeah, no, for sure. That makes sense. So you um, get through COVID, you get this offer from uh, Avery, which right. is crazy, right? Because it came out of the yeah. blue. It wasn't what you yeah. expected. Right, yeah. So um, the Avery offer, actually, it's been a years now it was pre-COVID so oh, yeah you're right you're right yeah it was pre-COVID so what happened was um so we had been in the business maybe like 14 years or so and honestly we were we were getting a little bit stuck at that point because we were still running as kind of co-CEOs and you know it was a bit of a we kind of joked and said we are like a four-headed horse you know everybody's kind of running their own thing and then inevitably everybody gets a little protective of their portfolios um and we were feeling like we were siloing a bit and, and so then we thought oh, maybe it's time just for one ceo maybe we should get somebody on the outside who can take this business to next level or maybe we do some funding anyway all these things we were thinking about and out of the blue we do get a phone call from avery and they're like, hey, we've been keeping an eye on you guys. Can we take you out for a meal? And we're like, oh, yeah, no harm, no foul. We can go for a meal. So we do. And they said nothing that turned us off. So the conversation kept going. And that was in July. And uh, and we closed the deal on New Year's Eve. Yeah, so that's, that's, that's so fast. It, you know a girl, like that is so fast. Like some of these things can get dragged on forever and ever. And honestly, like 
You do not even announce or say anything about it until that money's in the bank because people get left at the altar constantly in selling a business. So, um, and I mean, we couldn't talk about it because obviously Avery's a, um, CCL is a publicly traded company. So it would have been insider trading, right? So um, that was that was actually quite challenging um, because for a work environment where, you know, we have 40 employees, we're very transparent, we're very open. That's part of our culture and not being able to tell them. I mean, we had to pretend that we are being audited by the government when we went through due diligence, you know? So that felt really gross to us and very... Um, very dishonest, which we hated, but we, we didn't have a choice. Yeah. So then, well, yeah. This happens as a business owner. Sometimes right. there's some things that you have to do that, you know, you hold your nose and do everyone. it. It's for the good of everyone. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And then what we did, and this was smart, was we got um, a friend of ours, Leanne Davey, who does a lot of amazing workplace culture stuff. So we got her into coaches, how to deliver the message to our team. Mm. And she really helped us fine tune our message because, you know, really all people want to know is how is this going to affect me? You know, how's my job? So it was great because, you know, we weren't changing the brand. It was Mabel's labels. We're still in the same place. We were still a lot of the same team members are there. So a lot of it, Avery didn't want to buy us and then turn us into Avery. What they wanted us for was Mabel's labels. That was the household name. That was the brand that everyone loved and trusted. So, you know, they knew it was a kiss of death if they came in and tried to change it. And that's not what they wanted to do. They wanted to kind of leverage. Yeah, it's interesting because early in my corporate career, I worked for a small startup and they got acquired by Sun Microsystems and it was the opposite experience. And so, yeah, so it's like they just want to come in and like take everything over and change everything. And it, it was like disruptive and it was difficult for employees at that time. And even though employees are thinking things are going to stay the same, you know, they probably have four leaders that they've come to love and they know how to right. work for you and how to make you happy and, and mm-hmm. also how to perform. Um, I, I think I read that all four of you stayed on for some point in time. Is that correct? So, um, okay. It was a little bit of a mixed bag. So right away, Cynthia wanted to leave my sister. She's like, ah, 14 years, I'll move on and do other things. Um, and she still had a little one at home. So that made sense. And then, um, Julie Ellis was going to stay on, but after a few months, she was like, eh, you know what? I, I think I will try my hand at other things. It is, it is hard sometimes for leaders, um, cause she was very involved operationally. So then, you know, Trisha became the general manager and she stuck around for a couple of years. I think she's only, maybe she was around three years. Um, so I'm the only one left. I'm the last man standing. Um, and the transition for me has been it has been pretty great. Like, honestly, now I report to somebody that we hired um, years ago to do a marketing contract for us. Then she became our marketing manager and now she's our GM and she's spectacular and a compassionate leader. And, you know, it gives me a lot of pride to report to somebody I hired. Oh, that's amazing. Cause yeah. I would think like, I would think that transition might be a little bit challenging. No, it was awesome. I, I I love it. I love it. Um, she understands the business so well, and uh, and it's just it's just amazing. Also, when you start a company and you have the opportunity to create a culture and to create opportunities that you see people go up, you know, and and grow and get promoted and make more money and have growth and feel good. Um, and that's that's a big part of satisfaction when you own a company. Yeah, and it also sounds like 
you're still also doing the piece that you love doing. That's right. So, you know, for me, I'm obviously still on the management team and I'm, I have a big part in um, the strategy and guiding the future and with the rest of the management team. Um, and it is, it is an incredible leadership team. It's, it's, it's remarkable. Um, so, and I do, you know, I'm the company spokesperson. I'm the senior director of um, public relations. So I'm just getting Mabel out there and I'm, I'm bringing her to life and, uh, you know, talking about her doing interviews, talking to awesome folks like you and uh, just getting the story out there. And uh, I'm loving it. Listen, I went on the website. I'm like, uh, who knew there could be so many labels for everything? <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's true. It's true. But okay, <laughs> let's get back to um, you're still like technically working full time, but yep. then you also decide to like write a book. <laughs> right. You know, and all my spare time. Well, look, a couple of things. First off, my kids are getting older. Like I have three kids in university now and three kids at home. Um, so the first lockdown was a little tricky with my littlest guy. Um, Cause he, he needs a lot of, he's a little ADD guy. And uh, so somebody had to kind of be beside him with the homeschooling. Um, but luckily some of the university kids were sent home because of COVID. So we kind of divided and conquered and, you know, Posey would do math with him. Mac would do English with him. Like, so a sibling could do, you know, everybody could help out. So that was a many hands make light work. By the second lockdown, he was pretty independent. By the third, he definitely was on his own and, and was managed it great. Um, so from that perspective, if this had happened years ago, I would have been oh, I would have been in big trouble. I don't know how I would have got anything done. But now the kids, like the youngest is 13. So um, so that got me through the pandemic. Um, them being a little more independent than, you know, if it, if it had, like I said, if it had been 10 years ago, whoo, look out. Um, the other thing is I do a lot of travel and a lot of speaking for my work. So once COVID hit, I mean, I was grounded. I wasn't flying anywhere. I wasn't going to conferences. I wasn't, I wasn't doing speaking engagements for a while until finally people figured out because a lot of people canceled their conferences yeah. and then they're like, I guess we'll do it online and do it via Zoom. So for those first few months, there was nothing. And then once people started doing their, like the conferences started doing their pivots to online, then I would start doing more speaking engagements, but they'd be like this and I wouldn't have to go to an airport or fly anywhere or do anything. So I felt I had a bit of time and it's been on my to-do list for about eight years, probably more. And I thought, if not now, when? So 60% of women picked up a side hustle during the pandemic. And my book was my side hustle. <laughs> I know, you know, a lot of moms listening would be like, she has six, six kids. How does she have any like time for <laughs> side hustle <laughs> and working full time? So what was the yeah. process like? Did you enjoy it? Did <laughs> you know what? That's a great question. And the honest answer is not so much. And I, I think there's two reasons why that process, I found it tough. Um, one was that I had been writing blogs and articles for years, years, years. Like I was a mom blogger when nobody knew what a mom blogger was. I was writing blogs. So I'm used to writing in like little chunks of like 500 words. Well, then suddenly it's like 60,000 words, 80,000 words. Like, you know, it's a lot of words when you're used to doing fast, witty little snippets, right? Little storytells. Um, so that was tough. Um, 
Although I was able for the book to pull in some of my old, old content where it made sense. Mm-hmm. So that was cool. cool. I, there was a little puzzle piecing that went um, as well, which was a little bit helpful, but also a little confusing. I, once I did my outline, I felt a lot better. Um, so there was that. I think the other challenge I had was that I never got into a proper groove. So, um, you know, most people when they're writing, they'll be like, okay, I'm going to write every morning from, you know, 6.30 to 8.30 AM, or I'm going to put the kids to bed. I'm going to write every night from, you know, nine to 11 or something or an hour at lunch, whatever they get, or they say, oh, I'm going to go on a retreat for two months and I'm going to hide in, hide in a lodge and just write the book and get her done, whatever. So I didn't kind of do either. I did go to the cottage for a week once, which was helpful. And I actually was joking on Facebook telling people like somebody will have to come up and Annie Wilkes hobble me like from in misery. Remember that? Remember misery? He gets hobbled and he has to fight. I was like, that's like, I need a hobbling. So I just hover over my typewriter and, and get this book done once and for all. Um, but I was very supported by my, I was very supported by my editors and my publisher and uh, that was extremely helpful. So yeah, I'm going to say the the being used to writing in a completely different format and not necessarily finding my groove were t- two of my writing challenges. So, but I will tell you, once it's done, there's a weight that comes off your shoulder. Like you only ever experienced, like when you wrote your last exam at university ever, you know, that feeling of, you know, because I did find two and it was, it did bring me back to university a bit because I did feel like whenever I was doing anything but writing the book, I was like, maybe I should be writing the book. You know, I could be hanging out with my kids. Oh, I should be writing the book. I could be doing other work. I should be writing the book. And that's where maybe if I had been more disciplined about getting that groove and setting aside an hour each day, then I wouldn't be think it wouldn't be weighing on me other times. So that was, that was a, if I write another book, anybody out there is, <laughs> One, uh, one trick I've started to do, especially for like blog writing, like if I'm trying to think of a topic or whatever, I find like, I have my best ideas when I'm like working out at the gym because I'm an athlete. Uh, right. So what, what'll look weird though, is I'm at the gym and I'll have my phone. I'll be like, write a blog about blah, blah, blah. And I'll like, just dump all my thoughts into a voice brilliant. memo. <laughs> yeah. Because then it makes it so much easier when I get back to my desk and I'm not like sitting here forcing myself to try to think of something. Exactly. No, you have to absolutely do that when the inspiration hits. Like, you know, I'm the have the piece of paper beside the bed with a pen because the number of times I've just woken up and I can't sleep and it just is all there. And I'm like, here we go. And I would never have remembered in the morning. So yeah, and that that um that voice to memo thing, like Otter AI or one yeah. of the like they're yeah, they're either you need them. Yeah. It's amazing because you know what the problem is like. I can't read my handwriting. Like my handwriting's so bad. My sister makes fun of me all the time because her and my mom have like perfect handwriting. Right. And mine is like, what does that say? <laughs> Honestly, I had my so I had my book launch party last week and I signed a bazillion books. And I'm like, I wonder if anyone will be able to read what I wrote them when I signed <laughs> their books. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So you must be relieved now the book is out, it's launched. Yeah. So, I mean, the launching it is the one thing when it goes out. Um, I was really happy because uh, it reached best bestseller status on Amazon in the first 24 hours in the category of entrepreneurship. So that was exciting. Um, and then, yeah, but then there's all the PR around it. Like there's a lot of uh, lot, lots going on, which is great. I love it. You know, yeah. I love it. But I think, you know, um, 
yeah, getting it written is, is one thing. And then there's, that's just the beginning. Yeah. Shall well, we say? I noticed, um, like, are you also right now and you may or may not want to answer this. It's okay. But yeah. I, are you building your own personal brand right now? And do you have any ideas for what it is you want to do in the future? Right. Well, no, my personal brand really is about, um, about elevating the Mabel's brand. And I think like knowing our market, our market is moms and moms don't want to buy from nameless, faceless brands. They want to feel connected. They want it. They want a human connection with their brand and that the brands that they support. And that's, and that's what I represent. So, you know, you know, I, that's why I was blogging 17 years ago about kids and I wasn't blogging about labels. I was yeah. blogging about, you know, having a kid with autism or having a big family or just getting through the day and keeping it real and authentic because moms, want to support companies where, you know, somebody else is also trying to get through the day without smelling like baby vomit. So, you know, that's, so for us, it was, it's the relatability piece and, and so much. So like personal brands aren't just for Steve Jobs and famous TikTokers and Oprah Winfrey or whoever else, like everyone, um, everyone has a personal brand. And it's what you're going to do with that personal brand, how you can help it elevate your business. And what it does is it, um, it, it brings visibility and invisibility brings trust, which brings loyalty, which brings dollars. <laughs> it, bring, it brings business, right? Because yeah. people feel loyalty and that's uh, that's a very important marketing strategy. And it's a very important um, piece of what Mabel's Labels is because we let people in. Yeah. And I think like, would you agree with this? Like, do you think one of like, I, from the outside looking in, I feel Mm -hmm. like one of the things that you did really well was build a very strong community very early. And I know I watched another clip where you're even talking about, um, creating a Facebook group for carpooling in your neighborhood. Right. (laughs) And and I was like, yeah, she is busy, but she still does that. And I organize. The other thing that I loved from that was um, people talking about you being lucky. And, and I Mm -hmm. love what you said. You said, the harder I work, the more I sweat, it seems the luckier I get. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, it's funny you say that because I do though, I do need to point out something that I think um, there is some luck there because I'll tell you what, being able to start a business, you know, people, people are always like, oh, you're so brave. You started business. Well, this is what my bravery looked like. I had three degrees. I had parents who supported me growing up. I had a partner who made a lot of money so I could quit being a lawyer. And so a lot of entrepreneurship is based on privilege. Like, let's not forget that people who can afford to take chances often are the ones I know people who are way braver than I am and are have, have two part-time jobs. They're all holding, you know, raising babies on their own. Um, they will never get a chance to take the chance I did. So I do want to take a hot second to acknowledge some privilege that surrounds me starting Mabel's Labels. Yeah. But you know, it's interesting because one of the things I struggle with, like I'm, I'm single, I've, mm-hmm. I've been single for most of my life, but people take for granted, like having a supportive partner, the value of having a supportive partner. And I think that like, when I look around, it's like, you see so many successful women that have amazing supportive partners. And I think it does make a difference. Oh, it makes a huge difference because you have somebody also like supporting you emotionally, but you have somebody else to fall back financially where you have been like, you have to do it all yourself. Right. Yeah. And that's why I say when people, if people do have a partner, or a spouse, and they're going to start a business, you better make darn sure you're having honest conversations about what that's going to look like. 
Yeah. And make sure they're on board because if they don't, if they think this whole, this whole entrepreneurship thing gets highly romanticized. I mean, people think, oh, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to do a TED talk. I'm going to make a bazillion dollars when I sell my business and all that stuff. Well, heck, I've been in line for 19 years for this, right? Like this is like a long overnight success story. So what entrepreneurship looks a lot like is making labels in a basement till two in the morning when I'm pregnant with number four and then getting up at 6 a.m. to take care of my child with autism and his two younger siblings who are babies. Like it was a gong show. And that's really what entrepreneurship looks like a lot, lot. <laughs> so, yeah, well, you know. and, and listen, I, I do think it is about the hustle and it's also yeah. about how much grit you have. I don't know if you've read mm-hmm. Angela Duckworth's book about grit, but it is part of that too. Like it, yeah. it's being able to like put in the time, put in the effort and persevere, even when the last thing you want to do is do that. Right. And I think, you know, the whole business partner thing also is an advantage for us. So in those early days, if I was feeling like, oh my gosh, what have we done? Are we insane? Why did we start this? We're never going to make it. Then the other three would be like, oh no, 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 Julie, this is how this is going to work. We got, you know, so if anybody was feeling defeated, we could like tag each other up and be like, no, I'm going to be the toxically positive person today. That's going to get us through this. So we could kind of tag team and be each other's like emotional support animal. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's, that's why I think like, if you do own and operate your own business as a solopreneur or whatever, I do think there's so much value in belonging to like a mastermind or group or whatever. Because you hear other people have the same challenges and you're like, oh my God, it's not just me. Oh my goodness. And it can be so lonely. Being a solopreneur can be so lonely. Often you're working from home, uh, so you're not interacting. And honestly, like back in my day when we started 19 years ago, there was no Facebook. There were no online groups. Like we would go to networking events, like physically. And so I think, you know, entrepreneurs now join that Facebook group, join that, still try to turn up in, in real life. But especially if you're that solo entrepreneur, because, you know, we have a tendency to, build things in our head and get overwhelmed. And this is where I go back to your network is your net worth. You need to be talking these things out because you may have turned something into a huge deal. That's really not. And somebody has an easy solution for you and you need to talk to that person. You need to find them. Yeah. Oh, 100% for sure. For sure. So I'm, I'm not even a mom, but I'm looking forward to reading your book because it is about entrepreneurship and it is about juggling a lot of different things, I'm sure. And, and I know your storytelling, there's probably going to be some pretty funny stories in there. There's some pretty funny stories. And it really is. It is a book. Like it's full of life hacks, parenting hacks, and business hacks for anyone who is not a mom, but an entrepreneur, this definitely suits you. And for a mom who's not an entrepreneur, like, honestly, I think it does appeal. And I, you know, it really was inspired. I I was inspired to write something to make, make the journey a little easier for somebody else, a little more lighthearted, a little, you know, take a look, look yourself, don't take yourself so seriously, but then also with some really great productivity hacks and, and, and tips and strategies of how to get through it. Um, I wanted to circle back though, to a point you made about community and you're absolutely right. Mabel's labels um, from the very start, uh, it was all about community and it, it's because, you know, the moms, the moms are communities and moms talk about products they love. Um, and they used to talk about it at the school drop-off and then at, at the side of the soccer field and at the hockey arenas. And then this thing came along called social media. And boy, did we jump on board fast because 
then moms could talk about is on their Facebook posts or on their blogs or now their TikToks or their Insta stories or wherever. So go where your audience is, right? And that's why, um, you know, and me with the blogging, we have over 200,000 Facebook fans. We have 100,000 Instagram followers because although we make labels and our tagline is, you know, labels for the stuff kids lose, really, we're always thinking about how do we make mom's life easier with the content we produce, with the, with the, pro, with the products we launch, everything we do, we're like, are we making life easier and more fun um, for our customers? Yeah, no, I love that. And, you know, I wish we had more time because I would love to ask you more questions about community because I just attended um, Ecom World and a lot of the messages there, like moving forward because of what's happening with Instagram and privacy, building a community is going to be key moving forward. So it's something you did so long ago, but it's still even more relevant today. (laughs) Yeah. Look, you know what? Business is personal. Yeah. Oh, listen, I made the mistake when I started of thinking like, oh, I'm running an online business, but regardless of whether it's online or offline, it's still about relationships. That's 100%. Yeah. So Julie, I'm totally aware of your time, but I have one more question for you. Okay. I Hit ask me. everyone this question. I stole it from Tim Ferriss because I love it so much. Um, okay. okay. So pretend you're in Dundas Square and there's like those great big billboards okay. and you could put any message that you want on that billboard for people to see what would that message be what do you want people to know uh like think about yeah right um oh there's so many things i guess um i guess really because people always ask what my secret sauce is and it really is just my perspective and that you know i'm not a complainer because i've never said i'm tired and then a bed appears like i you know, I just like if like if something needs to change, change it, right? Um, so I would probably have I have this in one of my slides actually um, when I talk about managing the mother load, and it's a picture of a lemon, and it says, "When life gives you lemons, make a gin and tonic." And you know, I think basically it's just about you know not taking yourself too seriously, you know, and and remembering that we're we're just here um do our best when you screw up apologize and move on i gave up mom guilt four kids ago there's no point in it just um stay humble stay humble uh leave your ego at the door and just you know just be kind yeah yeah i think we could definitely use more kindness in the world today Mm -hmm. and thank you for being so kind today and giving me this time i've really enjoyed this conversation me too Um, i've loved every every question like i could ask you so many more questions though Uh, but if people want to find you or follow you where should they go Okay, so, um, well, if they're on Insta, I'm at Julie Cole Inc. And we're at, at Mabel's Labels. Um, also, Mabel'sLabels.com. And if you want to find things about me, Mabel'sLabels.com slash Julie Cole. And if you want to get my book, go to your favorite bookseller online. Go to Indigo, Coles, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, wherever at your favorite bookseller will have me. Great. So, Julie, I'll add that stuff to the show notes as well. Perfect. And thank you so much for your time. This was so delightful. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Janet Lewis Show. Be sure to visit JanetLewis.com to join the conversation, access show notes, and discover our fantastic bonus content.